Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Good morning. My name's Nick. I have the privilege of continuing our series called Reimagine Resilience. And uh, we are looking at what it is for the cross to shape and strengthen us in our faith. And uh, we have gone through or, defi- or have a definition of what resilience is. And our definition of resilience is that it is the ability to joyfully adapt and recover and re-engage quickly without distorting your view of self, of God, or of others. And last week we covered community, and two weeks prior to that we looked at the idea of self-care. And these are all building blocks uh, of resilience. This morning I'm going to be talking about joy and the idea that what we're talking about, and which is why we put it in the definition, is it's not just the ability to re-engage, but the ability to joyfully re-engage. Otherwise we kind of become like emotional Roombas, right? We would just bounce off from one thing to the other, and we just keep doing that. And this isn't, this isn't one of those things. It's actually saying, how do I joyfully adapt and recover when circumstances are not the way that I expect them to be? When I spoke about, um, when I spoke about soul care and how soul, uh, sorry, self-care and how self-care is an important building block of resilience, I, um, I reminded us that we are embodied souls which means that we have minds, we have hearts, and we have bodies. And the care of all those three aspects of ourselves is what we would call soul care. Uh, We aren't a body with a soul, we aren't a soul with a body, we are embodied souls. And so, within the context of looking at joy, I want to be able to look at a number of things. The one is, what we've done is this, this thing between happiness and joy. Um, and so for, for many of you maybe that have been around the church, has been this like really hard line between happiness and joy, uh, whereas in Scripture that line is actually a little thinner. I can understand why the differentiation, and I'm going to talk about how happiness is part of joy but isn't joy in and of itself and how they are a little different. But I am not a um, clinical psychologist. One is, well, he's a therapist. Um, But I do know that all human beings have the four kinds of neurotransmitters. And so, Juan, you're going to have to help me out here, right? So we all have what are endorphins. Yeah, I know, he's hiding. We have endorphins, and that's like, you know, the, the sense of wellness that we receive after we run. Again, I'm not a runner, but I know physical activity. What it does is it produces um, the idea that, that there is joy and energy, and you feel some kind of buzz. There's dopamine, which is the reward drug or the food drug. Now, this is the kind of drug that you get uh, when you experience joy in some kind of activity. Um, This can be sex or video games or food. There's serotonin, which is the mood drug, and serotonin is closely related to comfort food. I didn't know that. Uh, Most of your serotonin receptors are in your gut, and so that's why, because I was saying to my wife, why is it that when we feel bad as human beings and we are broken, that the one thing we crave is the thing that is the worst for us, which is starch and cheese and bread and all those kinds of things, and what it does is it makes us feel really good for those moments, and then we, we crash, you know? And then there is the drug called oxytocin. 
and uh, not to be confused with oxycodone, which is a completely different way of dealing with happiness and joy, not that we're talking about today, but it is, that's called the cuddle drug. It's the non-sexual touch. It's, it's the fact that we feel good when we are physically connected with other people as human beings. We're relationally connected. There was a, um, a widow in the church that we were planted out of, and um, she really um, enjoyed hugging me and for a long time. And, and it got to the point where I, I was a little uncomfortable with this. And so, Karen, come help me out. Karen's going to demonstrate. And so... <laughs> And so, so I would come in, and I would hug her, and I would, I would hug her, and then, and then I would go to let go, and she would grip me over here, and her hands would <laughs> go down over there. And so now I'm stuck, and I'm speaking to her, and she also didn't have great breath. So, so I, would, I would try and back away, and I wasn't being able to let go, and then I would try and move back like this, and then I realized that that actually was worse. Yeah. And so, so I kind of bowed up like this and was feeling very uncomfortable. And then I would do the pat, which means what, right? Hug is over. The hug is over, right? The, and, and, then she would, and then she would pat, you know? And then, yeah. And we would, you know, so. Very so, good. What happened was then I would see her and I would try and avoid her. Um, and so she would come in and I would, I would try and avoid her. I didn't know how to do this. And she recognized that I was avoiding her. And she comes up to me one Sunday and she says, Nick, I want you to know that the only physical contact I have is on a Sunday morning with any human being. Dude. I was like, come here, just give me a hug. <laughs> There's a sense in which all of these things are necessary for our happiness and joy. And these are things that are not bad, but these are things that affect us differently. Uh, the idea of going on a roller coaster, for me, it gets my endorphins going, gets my dopamine going, I'm here to go, and Karen goes into a very dark and scary place, if that was going to be her thing. Um, in, on a kind of Sunday evening, if my Formula One team has won, if my fantasy football team has won, and if the Chargers have won, which in the big scheme of things is like winning the lottery, okay, um, I'm happier. I'm definitely in a better mood. My girls will tell you that when the Chargers lose, when my fantasy football team loses, and when Ferrari screws up their strategy yet again, my happiness is kind of at a bit of a low. There are good things for us to be happy about. Yesterday we celebrated Patrick's graduation. Well done. When you get a promotion, your child gets an award. When we spend time with friends, when we eat good food, when we're in beautiful settings. These circumstances and these events and these places are not evil. Uh, they are gifts from God. But it's our use and abuse of them, rather, outside of the plan of God's flourishing for us that has confused these things. Sex is a great example. Sex is a gift from God to be used within the confines of marriage. And it's something that we have taken outside of the confines of marriage and used it in order to be able to get the hit that we want and wonder why we aren't ultimately joyful. Things that make us happy do contribute to our joy, but there are some significant differences between happiness and joy. 
I read this article this week by Steve Bateman, and he says that my joy is completely dependent on my circumstances, my eternal circumstances. And so there is a sense in which joy can be dependent on your circumstances, but he says let's lift our eyes to see what our eternal circumstances are. And some of the key differences between happiness and joy is obviously the focus on our creator and not creation. When we acknowledge that these things, good food, friendship, those kinds of things are gifts from God rather than rights um, that we are entitled to, we can engage in guilt-free enjoyment of these activities because they nourish our soul and they bring us some sort of happiness, like I spoke about when we talked about self-care. Now, the jump from happiness to joy is shorter than the jump from discouragement to joy. So if I'm discouraged, I'm over there, and if I'm joyful, I'm over here. And happy is kind of here. Now, the problem is this. If we just focus on happiness and joy seems attainable, then we'll end up in the quicksand of happiness, not realizing that there's actually a greater, deeper sense uh, of joy that we can attain. When we're discouraged, we know we need to move from this place. And sometimes we move from discouragement into happiness, into joy. And so our challenge this morning is to look at what the pursuit of true joy looks like without kind of saying, no, that anything that makes you happy or anything that is temporal or anything that is of this world is not something that God wants you to pursue. Now, we pursue God, and God is the creator of the gifts that He's given us that enable us to abide in His deep joy. The second thing about happiness and joy is that joy is a, um, sorry, happiness camouflages our situation, whereas joy gives us deep courage. Deep abiding joy may not be as intense as the happiness you get from your dopamine hit in that moment, but it is definitely more robust and eternal. I'll give you an example. Um, how many of you like cupcakes, right? You look at the cupcake, it's actually a very unique thing. It's like this small handheld thing and it's beautiful, it has like this white frosty um, frosting, I guess, I don't know. <laughs> Can you tell I don't like cupcakes? So it's like, it's, it's there, and it, you've got all these little uh, coconut shavings that my wife is massively a fan of, and then there's the process, right? You peel the, uh, the, um, the wrapper, thank you. You peel the wrapper off this thing, and it, it is visually appealing. It smells good. When you walk into the cupcake store, you see all of these cupcakes and they're looking at you and like, which one of these am I gonna have, right? How many of you have had beef jerky, right? Okay, does beef jerky look appealing? <laughs> okay. Thank you for ruining my illustration, Sean. It does not look as appealing as the cupcake. Okay, even for someone like me, I'm, I prefer beef jerky, but when I look at the cupcake, I'm like, man, that looks visually appealing. The reality is you put it in your mouth, it tastes, I mean, it feels a little bit like leather, there isn't the kind of crumbly sensation when you bite into it, you know, when you bite into the cupcake, there's that, there's that connection of the frosting and the cake, and you take it into your mouth, and it, it's good. There's this, this baking show that says it's got a good mouth feel, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing. But what happens? Man, you get that sugar hit, and I mean, those of you that are parents, you know, you feel good for that like half an hour, 45 minutes, and then you start to come down. 
And that's what happiness and joy is like. Joy is, in a sense, something that enables us to keep going for the long haul. It may not look that attractive. It may not be that appealing. But it's something that sustains us. Happiness is pursued. We know the pursuit of happiness. But joy is something that is chosen. There's a deep truth here because it's something that is empowering. It's something that's countercultural. And it's impossible for us to attain unless we do it in the Lord. Our joy is not just based on our current circumstances, but on the certainty that our God is in control. Even if the situation does not look like what He promised, my faith and my source of joy is not in the outcome, but it is in the character of God. Technically, in a sense, we aren't choosing joy, we're choosing Him. And so if we're going to choose Him, and if we're going to look at this this, uh, this idea of choosing joy, what will that look like? I want to say this morning that we, we choose joy, we choose Jesus through pursuit, through prayer, and through praise. And last week, I spoke a lot about community, and I spoke a lot about interrelationships, but I want to mention this week that, um, that within the context of joy, Paul writes to the Philippian church, and it's called the Epistle of Joy. It is his happiest book. And those of you that have been around church for a while will know that there are some unhappy books that Paul has written there. We went through Galatians where he's, he's telling the guys, come on, how, how are you acting like that? We see that when he writes to churches, there is the sense that joy can share space with other emotions, whereas happiness is one-dimensional. You're happy or you're not. But joy can share space with sadness and with fear and with anger and even unhappiness. And choosing joy is not ignoring or suppressing sorrow or pain, because Scripture models for us that in acknowledging our pain and in our desire to be free from pain, there can still be a sense in which we can have a heart that is full of joy because of our eternal hope. Earlier in the letter to the Philippians, Paul says this, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul is in prison. He doesn't know when he's going to get out. He's writing to the Philippian church, and he's saying, even in the midst of my circumstances, and he talks about it later, I hope to be released. I don't want to live in prison, but the reality is this, is that I want all joy and peace to abound. Joy has a singular source and aim, and Romans 15 tells us that it is the God of hope that will fill us with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would abound in hope. Joy is a fruit of being united with Jesus. It is empowered by the Spirit. And even though joy is affected by our circumstances, true joy is not dependent on those circumstances. So this week, um, I was thinking about, okay, how am I going to preach this in a way that doesn't make people groan when they think of the text that many of us have heard when it comes to the idea of joy and worry and anxiety. And so this week, a young man walked into my office and he, he was talking to me about a situation that he's been in. And he said to me, I don't know that I can really say that I'm in a joyful place. And so I just spoke the scripture to him. Later on this week in my Bible reading plan, um, I'm in Philippians 4. And so this is confirmation that this is the scripture that I feel like God wants us to hear when it comes to this. We know this is the don't worry, be happy text, but it's so much deeper than that, and I'm going to explain how. 
Philippians 4 verse 1 says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat you or urge or plead with you, Yodia, and I entreat Synthaki to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel today, with Clem, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, wow, that's a hard word, reasonableness, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but with everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard or garrison or protect your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think or meditate about these things. Paul is saying, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. He's saying, insist, I insist that you rejoice. And even the term, I choose joy, has become a hackneyed term, maybe a sense of this, it's this unintelligent thing. It's, it's even harmful for people, especially those that are saddled with issues of clinical anxiety and depression. And I want to just disclaim that. Researchers have said that different people have different levels of happiness and joy. Some are a 6 out of 10, and some are a 9 out of 10. I'm not expecting a 6 out of 10 to be a 9 out of 10, but what I'm saying is the, within the context of your personality, there is a measure of joy and happiness that God wants you to live in freedom in, and so let's pursue that. This is an interesting scripture. Because I don't know how many of you realize that five of those verses are talking about relational discord. And so I would say this to you, that I think that the enemy of joy is not necessarily sadness, but it's anxiety. And what else causes us such tremendous anxiety as relational discord? When we think of our friendships, we think of our workplace, we think of our marriages, our family, our roommates, the idea of relational discord is, is one of the biggest stressors in our lives. Paul is saying to the church in Philippi, and imagine, imagine me reading this letter. Imagine someone wrote us a letter, Mercy Commons, and in the letter it would say, now, I want Amber and Priscilla to make sure that they become friends. This is a little bit exposing, right? It's actually saying, um, these two that have been arguing, I want them, I want you to help them Come, no, they're not arguing. They're great friends, which is why I chose them. I want, you to, I want you to help them come together. Why would Paul say that in the context of a broader church? Because when there's relational discord within a community, whether that's a workplace, whether that's a family, whether that's a church, it affects more than just the people that are in relational discord. And so what he's saying is, I want you, I want you the leader of the Philippian church, I want you to help them to see eye to eye. Now, we, uh, we are really good at simmering. And I asked my wife about this. A simmering is a cooking tool that you put it on a low kind of temperature for a long time, and it just simmers there. It doesn't boil, but what it does is it makes the flavors more intense. And so that's what happens with us oftentimes when it comes to emotional discord. We let something simmer, and the flavor becomes more intense. And we begin to kind of rehearse this. 
Sometimes that funky feeling in our workplace or in our relationships is even worse than the idea of us taking something on head on. My wife will say to me, did you take your ugly pills this morning? Like if I'm, if I'm, if I'm not behaving properly, she's like, did you take your ugly pills? Is that, is that what's happening? You know? Uh, to, to which my reply is not often a good one. But, <laughs> but then she'll say to me, that's not okay. It's not okay to behave like that. Th those are the kinds of things that help us in terms of relational pieces. It's actually saying, your behavior is not good. Let me help you. It's not okay to behave like that. One of the weirdest things is like when we just are quiet, right? Even the dog realizes something's wrong. <laughs> if Karen and I are not talking to each other, and the dog is like... I don't know what's happening here. <laughs> but even the dog can pick up this kind of sense of relational stress. Relational stress makes us question our motives. We imagine conversations. We don't give the benefit of the doubt. And our prayers for that person are hindered. And so Paul is saying, guys, I want you to be free from that anxiety. It's the context with which he's writing about worry and anxiety within which he's talking about relational discord. He says, I want you to be free from that. When there's relational discord, we really are full of anxiety, which really works against joy. Now, not every situation can be solved with a UN conference. Sometimes, like I said last week, there's a sense in which God has called us to bear and forgive with one another. And Paul understands that not every relational conflict is going to be resolved, but he does say this in Romans. He says this, if possible, which means that sometimes it may not be possible, if possible, as far as depends on you, be at peace with all men. And so what he's saying to the church is, I know it's not always possible to be at peace with all men, but I want you to try your best to live in relational harmony for your own good and joy so that you are not anxious, so that you're able to access the joy that God is giving you. Secondly, we see in this portion of Scripture that prayer is an active pursuit of joy. Verse 6, Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We not only have the directive to live like this, but we have the power to live like this through the Holy Spirit. Now, in Philippi, there was a Roman garrison. The city itself had a Roman garrison. And it was a very visual example for the people there to understand what it looked like for the God of peace to guard your heart and mind. It was guarded. It had walls. It had sentries. You couldn't go in or you couldn't go out without permission. Now, prayer is us choosing to enter the garrison where Jesus is present. Prayer is us saying that in this context, I want to step into a place where I know that the peace of God is going to guard my heart and mind because of Christ Jesus. I'm choosing to step into that because there's a lot of things that are, that are going on in my life that are stealing my joy. Now, a God doesn't just prevent entry. A God also prevents exit. And so there are times in a city where the gods are preventing people from coming out. And so in this scripture, Paul says that the peace of God is like a garrison that guards your heart, the things you feel, and your mind, the things you think in Christ Jesus. 
Paul also tells us, Scripture tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty for the pulling down of strongholds, which means that every thought that exalts itself about Je- uh, above Jesus, we pull that down. How do we do that? By actually declaring the truth of who Jesus is and who we are in those circumstances. And so prayer is the opportunity for us to enter that safe place, that garrison, to be able to tell him, this is what we're feeling to be able to tell him, this is what we're thinking. The garrison is the safest place that we have to be able to pour out our hearts to God so that it doesn't leak out on other people. And what we need to do when we're in that garrison of prayer is be able to talk about our anxiety. That's what he says. Don't be anxious, but bring your anxieties to God, to be able to talk about our feelings, to be able to talk about, this is what I think is happening. This is why I think this is happening. We need to be the most honest within this garrison so that when we step out of the garrison, there is a sense in which our minds and our hearts are guarded. And we guard ourselves not only by the things we say and don't say, but also by our own self-talk, because that is a huge robber of joy. Now, before you dismiss this out of hand, because I know there are many of us that sit there and say, I've tried, that doesn't work. I want you to try even this week, just three times, and I want you to say, I want to be intentional, and I want to step into that garrison that Jesus Christ guards and has promised to guard it, guard my mind and guard my heart, and I want to step into that. I'm going to find a quiet place. I'm going to step into that garrison. I'm going to have breathe deeply, and I'm going to say to Jesus, I'm here. You promised to guard my mind and heart, and this is how I'm feeling. Let's try that. Before we say it doesn't work, let's give it an actual shot. Entering Jesus' garrison of joy and peace is the most effective thing that we can do when we're in times of anxiety or fear or pain or shame or uncertainty. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to hide. We can bring that to Him in that place. Because God says that He will give us a peace that surpasses all understanding. Which means this. God's peace is not logical. So in other words, what I want, and I go to Sean and I say to Sean, I have this problem, and Sean solves my problem, now I have a measure of peace because there is a resolution to that issue. And that's how a lot of us behave. And we walk into the garrison of prayer and we say, okay, God, I'm feeling anxious and I'm feeling fearful, and what I need is I need you to solve the problem. And Paul says, the peace that passes all understanding, a peace that is not logical, a peace that is not based on the reconciliation of the issue, a peace that is not based on a conclusion, but a peace that is based on a faithful trust that in the midst of this, God is present and God is working, which enables us to step into joy. Now, you may be in that place, and I have been in that place, in that garrison of prayer, where you're saying, God, I don't know what to do. It doesn't mean that God isn't going to give you wisdom. It doesn't mean that God isn't going to speak to you in that sense. But it doesn't mean that God isn't present if you don't come out of that place with a sense of resolution. Oh, this is exactly what I need to do. This is exactly what I need to say or not say. Our peace is not based on a conclusion or resolution that we may or may not find in there. And finally, praise or gratitude. I was amazed by this. I was was watching this... um, this researcher, and they did a huge study on the idea of joy. And they found this. 
that every single person that self-identified as joyful, in fact, they asked, hey, would you consider yourself to be a joyful person? Every single person, bar one, that said that they were a joyful person had an um, intentional practice of gratitude. Not just a general attitude of gratitude, not just the sense of like, yes, I'm a, I'm a thankful person, but they had an intentional practice of gratitude. Some of them had gratitude journals, some of them would sit around um, a family meal and would talk about things that they were grateful for. Some of them would start the day, even before they got out of bed, with just one thing that they are grateful for. 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, it's, it's three verses that are probably the shortest three verses together in the Bible. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, rejoice always, one thought, pray continually, another thought, give thanks in every situation because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. How many of you have thought, I wonder what the will of God is for my life? Here's your answer right here. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in every situation because this is God's will for you. Now remember what I said at the beginning, joy is an emotion that is comfortable being in the presence of other emotions. And just because we are fearful or just because there's a sense of anxiety doesn't mean that joy cannot be present. Happiness can't be present in there, but joy has room for those emotions. We can experience joy even in times of difficulty. I want to say, what does that joyful, there we go, there's joy. Children are a joy and a delight. So when you have to do those things, just remind yourself as you're doing those things. So my wife kept reminding me, you are a joy and a delight. Fallon would grow up and say, I am a joy and a light. I'm like, yes, close. What does being thankful look like for you? I want you to think about that. Whether you journal, whether you don't, whether you have a specific time of devotion, whether you don't, what would it look like for you three times this week, like I said, to enter the garrison of prayer, and before you think or ask for anything, to actually just say, I'm grateful for this. What, what, what does that look like for you? Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that this week your spirit would rest upon us. That there would be a, a Holy Spirit empowerment. Jesus, you said that you would help us do this. And we know that we can't muscle up joy. And so I want to pray for my brothers and sisters. I want to pray for opportunity for, for them to enter the garrison of prayer. And I want to pray, Spirit of God, that you would speak to them individually and that you would bring to mind areas that they can actually rejoice, be glad, and be grateful for. Ben, you can come up. Paul says at the end of this portion of Scripture, he says, finally, and actually Paul has said finally since chapter 2, so we don't know whether to take him seriously, but we are in chapter 4 now. So he says, finally, really finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Think about these things. He's telling us what to do. 
He's actually, he's actually saying, you know, these are the boundaries within which if you focus on these things, you will find things to be grateful for. Now, he's also talking about things that are true and just and, and pure and lovely and praiseworthy and virtuous and excellent within the context of this relational tension that he's found in the church. So whether it's your husband or whether it's your coworker or whether it's, it's a situation that you're sitting there, what is true about them? What is noble about them? What is praiseworthy about them? You'll find your anxiety begin to kind of dip down a little as you think about what is true. Because the reality is we are bombarded every day with things that are untrue, things that are lies, things that are crass, things that are dirty, things that are bad news, things that are malicious, things that shouldn't even be spoken of. Just our news feed is full of that. And so we have to be vigilant in doing the opposite. And so I want us, in response, to meditate on these things. And I've put these up on the screen. And I know that you can get flooded with a lot of information. But I want you to think through these things, and I'm going to read them. And I want you to ask God, which of these things am I able to access? Because when Paul says, think about something that is true, what does that mean? Well, maybe this is a bit of a clue. Something that is true, it means no matter how alone, betrayed or abandoned I feel, Jesus promised never to leave or forsake me. Something that is honorable or noble is that he was treated dishonorably so that I would have the honor of being adopted into the family of God. Something that is just, that he endured injustice so that I would be pardoned of all my sin and be able to stand before him fully justified. What about things that are pure? That Jesus has clothed me in his pure white robe of righteousness. Something that is lovely, that behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Something that is commendable or of good report, that on that day, I will be commended by my King when I hear His voice say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Something that is excellent or virtuous, that my heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for the King. My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. Jesus, you are the most excellent of men, and on your, your lips have been anointed with grace since God has blessed you forever. And finally, something that is worthy of praise. That I will join multitudes and declare worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth, wisdom and might, honor and glory and blessing. And every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them will say to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor glory and might forever and ever. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless with exceeding joy to the only wise God, your glory, dominion, and power forever and ever. Amen.
for, um, yeah, being so faithful to remind us where our true joy lies. Um, yeah, this morning I feel like God's kind of prompting us to respond in a few different ways. First, um, there's been a couple people who uh, have a feeling that there's um, maybe members of our community who feel like they've been robbed of joy and just have a, a, an anticipation. Um, yeah, an anticipation to pray for God to deposit joy in you, the joy of the Lord, that it would be your strength, that it would surpass understanding. Um, so Steph and a few other members uh, of our community are going to be on the side to pray for you. Um, and then Ari also had something where she felt like, um, maybe this is for one or multiple members of our community who have had experience experiences where um, God doesn't feel like a, a, a garrison, a safe place for you, and she wants to, to pray for you to break those lives over you. Um, and then also, if you just haven't known God as a father or a friend before, this is your chance to do that. He's good. He will keep pursuing you because he's good and he's kind. And if there's a feeling you're having that, man, there's maybe something feeling in your body, that's the Holy Spirit saying, I'm, I'm here. I'm running after you because I'm good and I'm kind. Um, so there's going to be members of our community on the side to pray for you. For the rest of us, we're going to respond um, in communion. So go ahead and grab the elements and bring them back and I'll lead us in that. In the middle of that passage, it says that to not be anxious for the Lord is at hand. This mule represents the closeness that his, he, came, he came to be with us, to be broken for us. So God, we thank you for your broken body that was given willingly as a sacrifice so that we could know wholeness so we could know the nearness of a father. As we take this in remembrance of, of what you've done to bring us wholeness, God. Jesus, we thank you for your blood that was shed so that we would be made washed white as snow, Father, that you... You don't look at us and see our sin anymore. You look at us and see your son. You see the sacrifice that was made. So this morning, Father, would you, would you wash us again? We know what it means to, to stand in the presence of you, of a father who, who wants to be with his kids, who wants, to, who wants us to, to bring our anxiety to you. You don't call us to deal with things on our own. You, you say, come to me. It's through this meal, it's through your blood that we show that we can come to you, Father. So we take and drink. We're just going to um, respond in song again, remembering that God is good and he is near. He doesn't, he, he, off, he, he beckons us to, to come and bring our anxiety to him and to, to choose joy, not out of a white knuckling, but out of a, a reliance on him. Father God, we thank you that we can bless, bless your name in every season, in every circumstance, that you are good, you are safe, you will guard and protect our hearts and mind. So God, I pray that today as we, as we go out, that we would, we would run to you. You would help us choose joy. You would help us, you would help us remember that joy um, creates and has, has room for every other emotion, God. That you welcome them 
You don't shame us for our emotions, God. You, you, get, you, you built us that way, Father. And you say, you say, come to me. Let me sit with you in that. So God, we bless your name. We bless your name in the, in the, um, the fruition of your promises. And we bless your name in the waiting. We, we bless your name in the questioning, God. When we wait and say, God, why isn't this happening yet? You welcome those questions. You are good. You are faithful. We bless your name. We love you and we need you, God. We thank you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.